And away we go. It is another day in the wonderful world that we live in. It's October 14th. I know we're supposed to keep things uh, evergreen around here, but today is actually a pretty good day. I, I realize that I've done this three times in a row, but what a wonderful, beautiful day in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was 67 degrees after I dropped my kid off from school, and I'm driving in, and it's just on days like this where we just had some rain and some wind, just as clear as a bell, the sun is as blue as could be, and it just, you know, just, it makes you proud of where, where you are sometimes, and I, I do love this city. We got a lot going on. We got a, uh, a head football coach that, that's in all kinds of trouble, rightly so, and a football team that's trying to figure itself out which um, I've been listening to nonstop on the radio, which has not made my days fun, but it certainly is, um, it certainly is, a, is a topic right now. On the heels of that, you do have people understanding that Las Vegas will most likely be the next destination for Major League Soccer. So hopefully at some point, it's where we're going to start talking about that. Let me remind everybody, five weeks ago, maybe even less than that, uh, I may have been the first one to say that just, just – Count the days, whatever you want to do. I think I time-coded at that point as well. Las Vegas will be the next MLS side. Uh, I really do truly believe that. Uh, with some of the comments coming out of uh, the commissioner's office, that, uh, that certainly seems to be the case. But most important, the United States of America, in their game against Costa Rica, which has at times been a thorn in our side, managed to win 2-1 to one last night, which was quite wonderful. To give you up to speed uh, really quickly on where everything stands, Mexico got a great result out in El Salvador. Uh, I watched that one. I'm going to touch on CBS's coverage because it was horrible. I, it, was, it was really bad. It was so bad that my dog got up and left the room. It, it was really quite poor. But Mexico uh, got the victory last night, 2 to nothing, a late goal uh, with, with, from the penalty kick spot. Uh, but they're sitting on 14 points now. The United States right behind them with 11. Canada does what we wish we could have done to Panama, 4-1. to one. Uh, So Canada is now on 10, and Panama is three points behind the United States with eight. Costa Rica is sitting on six, uh, still having all kinds of difficulty scoring. Jamaica, El Salvador, and Honduras way down there at the bottom. So things looking pretty good. Coming out of the first six, the United States, not perfect. Three wins, two ties, and that glaring loss. But for all uh, intents and purposes, we are in a pretty good spot. I am going to get way into that. do want to talk a little NWSL today. And also some, some news coming out of the USL. Amanda Vandervoort. Vandervoort. <laughs> I always say her name wrong, Amanda. I'm sorry. Uh, it looks like she's going to be heading up uh, an effort from the USL on the women's side. I'm really uh, excited about this. I'm, I've already reached out to her, and we will have her on the program in the very near future. Kirk Gomez was going to actually be a part of today's show but he had some scheduling issues. So I, I don't get to, to have some fun with him. I'll get him on uh, the first part of next week. I do want to talk a little bit about Newcastle because this thing is, is going to take on a life of its own. It really is. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out because when this much of an influx of money comes in, it, it has a ripple effect on everybody, and it really will. So in other news, before I get going here, uh, Germany has already booked their ticket to Qatar. They did that on Monday, and it looks like Denmark is right on their heels. So congratulations to them. They've been through quite a bit. But uh, nice to see them getting on the horn with their travel agency to figure out what, what their stay is going to be like. So that's nice. If you did or if you are paying attention, all kinds of problems with this whole South American scenario, and especially players coming back to Europe. Messi was one of over 70 South American stars missing 
the Europeans, uh, Europe's top five leagues after the, this World Cup duty. So this is going to be tricky. The way it works now is if, you, if you're double vaccinated, players that are coming back to Europe uh, don't have to go through the, the, this uh, long, drawn-out quarantine process, and they can actually resume training a lot quicker, uh, which is good news. You might have seen also that Real Madrid and uh, Atletico Madrid have successfully applied to have their fixtures moved back, which was probably a smart move to be ahead of the game. There is some injury concerns, I guess, if you're a Manchester United fan, looking at, uh, well, Harry Maguire was already nursing a calf situation, and uh, it looks like his counterpart in the uh, center back position looks like he has picked up an injury, so that's going to get tricky. Carly Lloyd is getting called up for the U.S. uh, women's national team. That's something that I, I always pay attention to. I do love her. At some point, I'll have her on the program. She's a, a great human being. I do enjoy my conversations with her. And I want to talk about who, I, I, I just throw this out there. Who should be the new manager of Newcastle? Who should it be? You know, you know we, were, we were talking internally here, and is Jose Mourinho a, a, a little bit ticked off that he's not on this list? But some of the names that have already been mentioned, some of these guys are currently employed, meaning Steven Gerrard, which is currently at Rangers. You have Roberto Martinez, who has to make a big decision of whether he wants to take the money or take a team to a World Cup. Lucien Favre came up. I don't know about that. I'm just going to say it. He's a weird dude. It, it always gets to the point where the, the social component of it, of just, just being awkward, always comes to the forefront. He's like the, um, I guess you could say, if, if we're going to liken him to somebody, oh, I better not do that. There is a guy that he reminds me of. I better not do that. But Brendan Rodgers is also on this list, currently at Leicester, but he might be. But I want to know what you think. Frank Lampart has also been mentioned, but that's going to be an interesting one. Newcastle is going to take things to a whole new level, and that's that's going to be fun to watch. I saw a pretty funny tweet. I don't know who sent it. I apologize, but it's just one of those funny things where it's a conversation with the, the new ownership in Newcastle, you know, contacting Dortmund and saying, how much for Holland? I say, well, we'd like $200 million. That's a fair price. Can I get five of those? I mean, that's, that might be the way this goes. They're going to throw that fair play book out the window. It really isn't going to matter. They're just going to figure out a, a creative way to make it happen. But Newcastle is going to be a, a team of the future. Amanda Staveley is the one that's running that consortium, and she's already said that we want to be top of the league. That's it. We think we deserve to be there. That's our goal, and we don't feel like we're setting the bar too high. We're just going to, we're going to buy our way in. And we've already gone over this. It's about 10 times as much money as that group at Man City has. So look out. Here they come. All right. So first things first, the United States national team uh, and their result last night. Two to one is the final score against Costa Rica. I watched the game. I got it to about the 66th minute and then something got in the way and then I had to go back and watch it. So I had to unfortunately get in the car and try to figure out how to Get through this game, not watching it. It took you know loads off the anxiety of it all, but to see that FT at the end was a very welcoming visual. So the, the two to one victory. If you watch the game, you saw that there was a couple of things to talk about. You had Ariola gets injured in the warm up, and it means Tim Weah needs to start. My opinion was, and I, I I think I made this clear on Twitter that that he should have been in there from the start. I, th- I thought he was a great matchup for this game, and he turned out to be. Very much so. And then the other big, glaring uh, decision from Burhalter was uh, Zach Steffen in the goal. Now, look, at first I said, oh, this is a mistake. And I've had a, a conversation with, with Burhalter today. Here's how this works. Because a lot of people out there want to 
get really upset when the lineup comes out, and then they have a bunch of questions about how, how, how come this guy isn't playing or that guy isn't playing. And, I, and when I talk about the complexity of the, the U.S. men's national team managerial position, you have to understand how many different things are factoring in. And, and the goalkeeping position is, is always going to be a little bit tricky. Now, I did not, I, I, I'm not saying that this is the case, all right? But I want to remind everybody that the United States used to have a massive problem that they had two great goalkeepers in Casey Keller and Brad Friedel. And both of them were playing in England. So both of them also needed to prove that it was necessary for them to fulfill the requirements to have a work permit, to be there in the first place. Now, the way that works, and the FAA does get involved here, is essentially way back then and to a certain extent now, you have to prove that you're special. And, you, and, and it's very difficult uh, to, to work your way in if you are not deemed better than uh, many of the options that you're basically taking uh, an Englishman or a, any player from the UK, for that matter. You're taking their job. So when you are in a situation where you are not playing for your national team, it poses a question, all right, well, does this guy really deserve to be here? I'm not saying that that is the case with Zach Steffen because I questioned it, but and I, and I actually think that the goalkeeping position was under control, and this was a bold move, that it turned out working out. It didn't work out in the first minute, though. First minute, where I, I didn't even get a chance to get settled yet. I was watching it at the, at the office, actually, with a, with a bunch of friends, and man, I walked out of the room for a second. Hey, to start yet? Yeah, it's already 1-0. So the United States uh, was already you know, in a fight-our-way-back mode, and I actually think that was the best thing that could have happened. Because when the United States, if, uh, in the eight games prior to this, they never scored in the first half, but we kind of had to chase it early, not late. We had to chase it early. So guess what? We played differently. And we were, we were on the front foot. We, we clearly uh, had the, the lion's share of the possession. And we got a brilliant goal out of Dest. That was terrific. And if you watch the play, and you go back to the, to the origin of the play, because this is really a sport where I jokingly said to a friend of mine today, there's no other sport that the pass before the pass, before the play, before the pass, before the play, is actually relevant. And it, it turned out to be in this one, because it was a scenario where the ball came back to our goalkeeper, and Stefan, very calmly, was able to, to put the ball 40 yards right on someone's foot and start or initiate a forward movement. And it wasn't a panic button. It was a very calm moment, which could have been a very nervous moment after receiving, uh, taking a goal that early. You could get nervous in those moments. Yeah, I didn't see that in, that in that play. So go back and watch it. Get to the goal if you have the whole game on recorded just and go 14 seconds prior to the goal, and you'll see what I'm talking about. I like that. But the selections were, were also in question in this match, but I, I, I certainly think that the, the end result uh, was a terrific result. Was it perfect? No. Is it... Was it pretty? No, but was it one of the better performances? You could say that. Costa Rica is not very good. They're not very good. And guys like Ruiz, they don't want to run anymore. They don't want to defend. They just hope they get the ball and they can make a clever pass and justify that captain's man. But Costa Rica is not a team that we should worry about or anybody should worry about at this point. They have one win, three ties, and two losses. I'm not saying they're out of this thing, but coming out of the first six, the United States is in a pretty good spot. I would have liked to have seen us clearly at uh, 13. 13 to 14 points, that would have been much better. But 11 points is enough. We're halfway there. And, of course, our next game is against our arch rivals, 
Mexico. That will be in Cincinnati. That's on November 12th, in case you were wondering. And that gives uh, us plenty of time to figure out what that roster is going to look like. And I would guess, if I had to put a wager on it, it, it would be uh, pretty easy that Christian Pulisic will be back with the team. And Gio Reyna will as well. I've called him the Fab Four. We might get a, a chance to see him. That meaning Adams and uh, McKinney, who was good, who was very good in this, this two set. He stayed home for the, the, the game to Panama, which he didn't. Don't know, I, I don't know what exact the extent of the injury was. Was it precautionary? Maybe. Uh, it doesn't matter. The United States uh, look pretty good in, in, their, uh, in their two home matches. And that's all that, 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 that really mattered. We had Jeff Carlisle on this program before this second slate started. And it just seemed to be the narrative that the United States, oh, Panama, we got that one. We've got a lot of, we got great history down there. We'll do fine. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. I had to go at Greg in the last one because I just felt like it was the, the selections were all wrong. And we just did not get it right. And I've, I've argued the point that maybe we were sticking to a plan, uh, but you got to have a backup plan. But the United States getting into this position now, and things are starting to really, really look the way you, you want it to look. You want to see three or four teams after the first six matches almost completely, not completely, but, but disinterested. Uh, Jamaica was finally able to, to get a, a victory, but that put Honduras in a bad spot. So Honduras is, is going to be a team that will play in the very near future. But uh, Jamaica's hanging on to hope, which I don't like. And this is not an easy slate. To play at Jamaica uh, on the heels of Mexico, uh, those, those next two games are tricky. We're going to need an effort. But I do, want, I do want to say this. I think all things included, looking at our, our, our efforts to, to qualify this go-around, how many guys have played and how much we've changed it up is pretty amazing. I'm, I'm starting to get back to the frame of mind that the fact that we were able to win the Nations Cup and then we were win the Gold Cup with two completely different teams was such a, was a, was, it was almost like this great thing. It was, it was like, wow, you're able to win two, two trophies as a manager with two completely different teams. That's phenomenal. It also was a false sense of security. To just feel like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm such a good coach. I could just change it up and my guys will figure it out. It does not work that way. It doesn't. We have changed that back line way too much. And we got to start figuring out a way to have a group. And, and, and you know, I think, I think John Brooks is, and, and Sergeant, for, for the time being, just stay over there. Just get your own kitchen in order. But, but we don't need you right now. And that's, that's, that's something we'll figure out later. But going into watching Mexico play, and I sat through that, that broadcast. Good Lord. But I sat through it and I watched the game and watched Mexico do all the things that we didn't do in San Salvador. Of course, the game was altered by the red card and then the second red card. So the game was 10 on 10. But for me, I, I think that this was a game that was somewhat telling of what Mexico is all about. Mexico is a very good team, a very good team. To have them in Cincinnati, not Columbus for the first time in a long time, but have them in Cincinnati is, is, is going to be a good thing for us. However, keep in mind, the last two, whether we're, we're, we're talking about the Nations League with Pulisic's penalty kick and the shush, and then the, the late set piece where we were able to walk away with another trophy in the Gold Cup. There's, it's not very often that you get to beat Mexico three times in a row. You go back in your history on that one, and I've lived it a couple times. We, we thought we had them. You know, and I've, I've played against Mexico 11 times in my career. We only lost twice. We only lost twice. And people forget that. A lot of ties. If you count the, the Copa America win 
which was a zero zero that went to penalty kicks. That if we can, we're going to count that as a win, but it should go in the books as a tie. But that was a that was the turning point because we were able to win more than we lost. But a lot of ties in there, a lot of ties in there. My point is is that pride does factor in a great deal, and I know Tata Martino will have this team prepared and ready to go. And it really is an interesting match because the United States, let, let's face it, Mexico will be very happy to get out of here with a tie. Guess what? So would we. We actually would. We just can't afford to lose at home. Just can't do it. You can't do it. You need those points. Going to Mexico, it's not a throwaway game. It never will be. But it's a, it's a game where it's going to be very hard to get the points necessary to stay on top. And, and there's a lot of pride out there, the United States fans. They want to see us at the top of the qualification process, at the very top. Get over that. Coming in seconds, just fine. That's fine, because that means we, we're on the plane. We're on the plane. When we start hovering in that third spot and Canada starts figuring it out, that's where things could get tricky. They're the only team, let me remind everybody, outside of Mexico, that's undefeated. Ties are weird, man. Mexico 4-2-0. and Canada 2-4-0. That could easily have been 3-3-0 or 4-2-0 for Canada. John Herdman, I'm not a big fan of his. I've actually made fun of him on numerous occasions. He's not a very tall man. And I, I didn't mean to be rude when I met him in Vancouver during the World Cup, the Women's World Cup. He got out of an elevator, and I, I just, I was shocked. I didn't realize he was that short. I went, hey, whoa. And I, I, I think I offended him. Yeah, but, you know, I, I hope he can get over that. But he's, you know, he's got this team figured out. For those of you who don't remember, he was the coach of the Canadian women's national team and then made to jump to the men's game. And... He's proven that he's a pretty, he's a pretty, he's a damn good coach. He's got some great weapons. We all know that. But to have this team undefeated after six and going into some of the venues that he's gone into, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. So if you're going to give grades as, as far as coaching right now, you got to put John at the top of the list. We've had our problems with Burhalter and he screwed it up a few times, but I don't really see a flaw in the coaching of John Herbin up to this point. He hasn't, he has not put his team in a bad spot on any occasion. And it's, it's, it's been interesting to see. And it's, it's, for me personally, I love to see Canada succeed. It's always that country that I, I've, I've been really hoping uh, would figure it out. Costa Rica used to be, uh, you know, there was a time there where they had their own little golden era where they were really hard to beat. Panama was always a wild card. And Jamaica, it was, was hit or miss. And El Salvador, to be honest, you know, for a long time was, was a team that we could consistently beat up on. But I think Hugo Perez has changed the culture down there. He has a belief that he instills that belief and that the courage to play the way that they play, win or lose. And he takes everything so hard. His post-game um, interviews, you could see it in the press conference, just how, how much it deeply hurts him when his team doesn't uh, get a result. But this was an expected result, if you will, to lose to Mexico. But 10 on 10, it's one nothing. Take a penalty kick that late. If you saw the play on first look, I was like, man, he got the ball. And you watch it again, you watch it again. You got to give the ref a little bit of credit there. Because in real time, it was the right call. It was the right call. And we don't have VAR. Again, again, we do not have VAR. Just going to remind everybody that this is going to get, uh, this is going to get tricky. I did promise really quickly, I'm going to go back to the U.S. team in a, in a second, but really quickly, I want to, you know, I did say I want to talk about the NWSL. I, I do think a couple things of note here, uh, and, and I think this is encouraging to hear some of the, uh, the news coming out of the league has been really discouraging over the course of the last couple of weeks. But some good news, uh, in, in essence, right? you, you did see a, a release statement from the MWSL and the Players Association 
that they agreed to to move the game out of Portland and to Louisville, which really does solve some problems there, and it sends a better message. I thought the the crew that handled the whole scenario on CBS the other day did a fantastic job of getting that point across of really having a understanding that this was be, this was becoming national news and a lot of eyeballs and, and politically correct never it took on a whole new meaning with the way they were going to address that but the NWSL is going to have that at their final it's going to be in a good window CBS has been very cooperative I know the people on the inside they're putting the putting together that crew and they're doing a great job and this will be a, a, a I hope a really wonderful opportunity for the end up in the NWSL to put themselves in a better light at the same time you have the USL and and Amanda Vanderford putting their group together. So things are growing uh, on, on the women's side. They really are. And well, I'm going to ask Amanda a few questions about you know, if you're going to start a league uh, with all the history that she has uh, in the women's game, you know, what's the plan? How do you make sure that you have the countermeasures in, in place to make sure that you know, what has just happened never happens again? Because it can't. We can't have that in our game. And I, and I don't want to get into the weeds there, but... It's been a tricky week. I, I do, uh, after everything that has happened, you, I do think Merritt Polson's hands were tied. It's not like they were asking, is it okay if we move the game? They were saying, hey, we need you to be okay with this. And he complied, so good for him. But still, all things included, good, good for the NWSL. Should be interesting to see how that all plays out. And I'm glad that people are, are having real conversations and discussing these things on a better plane. So that's good. That's, that's, that, that's the good news. So on the women's side, Things are looking up. And I, I, I'll be honest, I take a, a very different look at, at the women's game now because I've got a daughter. That's the reality of this. My daughter wants to be a pro. And the idea that, that my daughter would be in a team or in an environment where some of these things have, have taken place makes me sick to my stomach. It really does. So it's, it's, it's as a dad, I, I, I think that um, I have a, a maybe a, I see it through a different lens. That, not, not that it needs to be. I think we should all kind of understand the, the importance of moral fiber and having values and principles that allow an organization to do things appropriately. But as a dad, man, when you look at some of the reports, it's, it's, uh, it's some god-awful stuff. But I did want to mention that before I continue this conversation. But the next question, and you can hit me on Twitter on this one, because I, uh, I, I've really opened up my life to some, I, I don't call it criticism, but man, man, I get in these conversations about, what I think or what uh, I think the lineup should be or what I think our, our coach should be. And I, and, and I, really, get, I really get confused at some of the, the agendas here because there's so many people out there that want to just say, this is what the lineup should be. Do you realize how irrelevant that is? It has no effect or impact on anybody that's going to actually make a decision. And then when you talk to or you're on the inside of, of someone like Greg Berhalter and, and you understand how many people are attempting to influence his decision-making. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I'm, I'm, I understand immediately that I'm going to probably get myself in trouble, but I don't care because it's factual. And I'm not saying that, that's, that this is happening now, but this whole idea of, of changing the goalkeeper, to me, brought me back in time where I am completely aware of a head coach that was there was an attempted bribe. And the bribe was instigated by the coach who basically said, well, if you give me this amount of money, I'll play your guy. You would be naive to think that these kind of conversations aren't happening now because it happens in the world of football. And agents, agents, just think of, put yourself in their shoes for a second. And what, they, what, what are they all about? What are they trying to accomplish? They're trying to 
get their players seen. They want to showcase their players so they can make more money. And I can't tell you how many times I've lived this where it's an agent who will go to whatever it, whatever it takes. And if they have access to our national team coach, they, they're basically saying, well, this is um, unacceptable and we're going to do this or we're going to do that or we're going to do this. And it's, is it, is it, no one's, I'm not talking about bribery. I'm just talking about, well, we're not going to comply with this. It happens at the club level all the time. You know, I, I think being a GM is, is one of the hardest jobs in the world because you literally have to have six or seven plates in the air at all times. And you have to maintain those relationships. I can give you a pretty good example of, of what happened with a player that I, I moved to an MLS team. And they didn't have all the money that we wanted to, in that transfer, fee, so we back, uh, that transfer fee. So we backloaded the deal. And what that meant was that once the player had played 25 games, that we were owed more money. Because the, the player was as good as we said he was going to be. And he got to play 25 times. He helped their organization. He, he was now worth more than they paid for originally. And it wasn't a lot of money. It might have been an additional $80,000 or whatever upon playing the 25th game. But you can bet I was on the phone that morning saying, all right, the kid's on 24. You guys going to play him? And, you know, their response was, yes, we're going to pay him. Check's already written, Eric. Don't worry. It's on its way to your club. Because these are kind the, the, you don't know out there, all your speculation, all of that. You don't know what these deals on paper look like, and you don't know how much a Greg Berhalter, an Ernie Stewart, a Brian McBride, how much they are managing. And I alluded to it before in, in, in regards to Zach Steffen, but the, the reality is in the old days, if a Casey Keller had to play enough games for his country in order to qualify to have a work permit in the first place. So even though when that lineup came out, I said, oh, this is a mistake, it occurred to me that there's probably a little bit more attached to this decision. And it turns out that there really wasn't. And that wasn't the case at all. However, there are so many things that are going on, not just in the mind of Greg Berhalter, but in the back rooms and the bars and the expensive dinners with these agents. These agents are running the show at times, especially in Major League Soccer. You can actually, you, you can actually take, you know, if you take a little time with this and you really want to you know, really do some investigative reporting, you know, I don't know if it's, no, it falls into that reporting, but look at the lists. Look at who their agents are. Look at where they are. Look at where they're going. Look at the, how is it, you know, let's think about this for a second. Pepe is going where? Where are the reports that he's going where? Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like something that we've already heard before? Doesn't it interest you that that, a team Wolfsburg, would be the one that is the team of interest? What you need to understand before you take to Twitter and say, this is a, this is a terrible decision by our manager, blah, blah, blah. There are hundreds of reasons why this team is selected. And it shouldn't be that way, but there are people that need to understand that there is a plan when it comes to their player that plays for a club that they're paying millions of dollars 
And it's, these, are, these are discussions that need to be, and it needs to be managed. Why we don't call him national team coach? He's not a coach. He's, he's not. He's a manager. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that I have a relationship with him, that he actually responds to my text messages. But, I mean, that, that phone's always on. That, and, and it has to be. So as our team grows in stature and ability, uh, you have to understand that there are, there are big players in this deal. It's, it's, it's hard to field a team and to keep everybody happy. Because the second, like, if you're in a big club and you say, and then, and, and, and you know, when you see that, you know, undisclosed number, like, like for example, that player that I, I moved, they, they didn't release the numbers on, on, you know why? Because there was six other teams that were selling a player to that club that that GM was saying, uh, we don't have any money right now. And, and then he gets to lie and say, no, we got that guy for free. That was, a, you know, that was an easy deal. We didn't, we didn't have to spend anything on that. Because he doesn't want to tell them that I didn't take your player because he has to maintain that relationship that in the event that two months, three months, two years from now, that that agent actually does have a player that you certainly don't want to piss him off now because you're going to lose the opportunity to get who you really wanted. And it's, it's a hard job. I'm not saying that these guys are liars, but it's, they're paid to lie. They have to. They have to. And you'll never know, really know what's going on on the inside of some of these clubs because these general managers have to figure out a way to maintain the relationships with everybody and keep everybody at least somewhat happy moving forward. Because that if, if one of these other agents figures out, hey, wait, wait a second. Did you just move? You, I just saw that you, you fulfilled your contract or the, 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 the back payment on, on the end of that transfer. But you told me that you didn't, you couldn't do that. And you told me that you didn't need that player. And you told me. So just understand that this business is a hell of a lot more complicated than just picking a team. And just saying, all right, well, this is a, sometimes it's availability. Sometimes it's, look, we can't afford to get this guy hurt right now. I always laugh, though. I got to be honest. I laugh when these MLS coaches. Refuse to, you know, are basically not releasing their players. We're like the only league in the world that played right through the, the, the international break. We're just, we're, we're going to keep playing. We have games. You know, we're going to play. Nobody else does that. But then you have like this MLS coach saying, you know, I, I can't release that guy. I, I can't afford to lose. No, you, you're going to get fired because the, the league took a stance on you playing right through this thing. That's not really your fault, but the, the truth is there's no promotion or relegation. We're just talking about your reputation. But you couldn't win a game without your guy. So you, you, you selfishly say, I got to keep him. I remember when this all went down with Clint Dempsey. Clint Dempsey couldn't get, his, couldn't, couldn't get out of New England. He had to punch his way out. I mean, next time, probably not, you know, Joey Franchino, not the smartest guy to punch because that guy's a Tasmanian devil. I played with him. I, I, I think that's the last guy in the world that I would have ever punched. But actually, when I read that and I heard that, that, that Clint actually went after Joey, I was thinking, man, Clint, that's, you're, you must be a tough, a tough SOB. That's the one guy I would. But that's how angry he got about not being able to get out. But he got out. The rest is history. But I just, I, I look at our, our national team. I look at where we're at right now. I know the thing, everything's going to kind of calm down. We're going to see some of those Twitter accounts get a little bit uh, less active. We will have a conversation with uh, Herc Gomez about this on, on Tuesday, I guess, of next week, maybe Monday. Because you know, he, he and I, we... 
we get a lot of hate. We, we, we get people that, uh, not as much as I guess Taylor Twelman and, and Alexi Lalas get. The Ginger and uh, Tinkerbell is apparently what we're calling uh, Twelman these days. And then it, it's just so funny just to see how many people they block, you know, because they just can't take it. I'll never, I, I actually went back and like, I had a couple of people that were blocked. I, I don't block anybody anymore. I think it's funny. I, I think it's funny that people have some of the opinions that they have. When somebody tells me that you, you have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. That's your opinion. And to quote my mother, I'm sorry you feel that way. Because it has no bearing on my life. What's that? What's that? Uh, the tactical manager. He seems to be having fun on, uh, on Twitter these days. He's actually a nice guy. I actually picked up the phone and called him. Uh, I, I, you've probably seen me make a, make a cameo on one of his uh, YouTube shows. We're all talking about the game because we're passionate about it. And, you know, you get a, you get a, a, a creepy tweet or, or a, an attack from some bot. I mean, who cares? Who cares? I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. And they, at the end of the day, uh, I think when we, when we really look at the, the scope of what this has become, it's all good. Even when it gets super negative, it, it's all good because our U.S. national team uh, looks like they are going to qualify for a World Cup. Although there are people out there still, and I still hate to hear this, almost somewhat rooting for the U.S. team to not qualify, to have this wake-up call. Look, it already happened, right? We didn't qualify for 18. Nothing changed. Nothing is different about the way that we address this. Nothing. It didn't do anything. It was just literally a, a, a big wave that hit the hit the shore and a couple of people were too close to the water and you know it, it got a little but the, the 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 waters have calmed and and now we're back to business as usual and that's that's just the way it's going to be we can complain about it but you're never going to change the infrastructure of the way soccer is administered in this country i've i've come to that conclusion i tried to run for president i thought that there was a real moment a, a window where we could change things and we could change the overall structure. We could change our schedule. We could make this make sense to our players. But what, what we're seeing is that uh, on most occasions, it's, it's about money. Vegas coming into the league, coming into Major League Soccer, is about money. They have tested the market, and they've under, they now understand that this is a great place for Major League Soccer to come. It's a wonderful place to sell out an all-star game. It's a great place, it's already proven that, to have the United States play against Mexico. And you watch. It will be a great place. Well, not anymore. It wouldn't be as much, but I still think they'll get the fans to, to, to see a Real Madrid-Barcelona game. That will be here. That's just the way the, the world works right now. If FIFA is going to fold up their tents and leave Switzerland to come to New York, then at that point you have to all realize that, that this is about money. It makes sense for FIFA to come over here because they can market better and they can capitalize on the market better with the money and the influx of money that can come in if they are not just you know in between the mountains over there now they're just going to be in between some tall buildings the world of soccer and especially when we when we look at it in our inclusion in this upcoming world cup is one of those things where we used to say making the world cup alone was enough but this country has now grown up to the point where we have enough players playing in big destinations that the expectation is 
what about the chance of winning it? And it's so funny to hear people talk about 2026 because they assume, oh, well, that's our big shot. Because, but we're having a hard time doing the here and now when we can't get past El Salvador and Canada and Panama. Don't get discouraged by that. I, th- I still believe in this team. I still believe that once we get there, we will have the capacity to play at a whole new level. A whole new level. Now, when does that equate to success back home on the home front, whether our league ever figures out what a schedule is supposed to look like? Are we going to try and convince the world now that just because Qatar did it and the money made sense that that's when the World Cup should always be? Yeah, good luck with that. Are we going to play every two years? I don't know. we got a better chance of qualifying. That's, <laughs> I might be, I might be in, uh, in favor of that. But either way, I am on the clock. This was uh, where I, I, I think I have this internal clock now, the way that podcasts work. You've got to get around 40 minutes, and it's, uh, it's time to shut it down. So that's where we are. Uh, this was another version of When All Before the Win, uh, coming to you from the beautiful Blue Wire Studios located here at the Wynn Resort Hotel and Casino, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful place to call home. But uh, that's it for today. Uh, just a reminder on our next podcast, Herc Gomez will join me. I'll probably tie him up and pull the sock out of his mouth and ask him a bunch of questions he doesn't want to answer. But let's see if I can get him to get out of that network world. That would be interesting. Because it's funny to watch the network guys uh, answer questions. Because it's always the same. You're coached. So you're so well coached that you can't, you know what you can't say? Uh, I'm going to say it up up front. I'm going to try and get him to say something that's going to, that he's going to say, hey, can we uh, edit that out? (laughs) But either way, uh, that's it for today. Uh, As I say, as always, at the end of uh, every one of these podcasts, be good people out there. Take care of each other. Love each other. 